Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. was uh, such a deep division among the Mornings with Carmen listeners. Wow. Wow. I did not know when I asked the dressing, stuffing, dichotomy question that there was going to be um, such input. So if you would like to weigh in, I am taking input now on the text line 877-933-2484. The question I asked was, do you call it dressing or do you call it stuffing? Cody um, let me know from Wyoming um, that uh, uh, Wisconsin, sorry, Cody in Wisconsin. Cody, Wyoming is a place. Cody in Wisconsin is a person. This is the first time I've ever even heard the term dressing in replacement for stuffing. So your worldview is being expanded today, Cody, because it's actually quite a debate, even amongst the people right here. For those of you who say that it is dressing, I mean, it's stuffing, and that dressing is what goes on salads. What kind of dressing are you putting on that cranberry salad? Because aren't we having cranberry salad? And is it gelatinous? And are you making other gelatinous things? And that just takes me to like those 1970s cookbooks where people put all kinds of things in. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to stop right there. What is going on on your Thanksgiving table? We will um, unpack more of this menu, recipe, all kinds of things tomorrow because tomorrow will be Tasty Tuesday or Taste and See Tuesday. So I will be sure I have uh, more to say about these things. But if you want to weigh in on the debate about whether or not it's called dressing or stuffing, lots of input like this from Jacqueline. Uh, You could call it both or either. Some goes in the bird. That's the stuffing. The rest goes in the pan. That is dressing. Both help leave us feeling stuffed. Yes, and maybe less dressed because we have to unsnap our pants. I don't know. Maybe you're wearing elastic pants. You get the whole thing. You get my whole concern here, right? We could talk about whether or not we are going to be, uh, you know, dressed in... uh, covered in Christ, over all things, putting on love. I got all kinds of thoughts going on about Thanksgiving. Okay, here's an important headline this morning that I don't want you to miss. And thank you for those of you texting in right now at 877-933-2484. Even those of you texting in with uh, lots of exclamation points demanding that I not call things that are related to cranberry as salad. Oh, just cranberry spread with, oh goodness, with whole berries and then um, some of that is it lefsa? Yeah, no. it's called lefsa. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, yeah. wonderful. I remember, stuff. wonderful stuff. I remember having the lefsa conversation before on this program. I don't feel like that went well for me. So we might. Uh, I know that's that's going to be a debate for another day. All right. Uh, my one good news headline this morning, and it's mixed. Like right, the good news headlines sometimes are mixed, but there's good news in this. You will remember that uh, in the middle of October. 17 missionaries were kidnapped in um, in Haiti 
by a by a gang who has uh, offered to release them for a million dollars a head. Well, two of the 17 members of that missionary group uh, have been released. The um, the organization Christian Aid Ministries issued a statement yesterday saying that it was not giving the names uh, nor the ages of those released, um, but that the two are in good spirits after being freed um, from their from their captors. We don't know why these two were freed. We don't know if these two include um, like the eight-month-old baby um, who was among those or one of the other five children that was in the group um, of those kidnapped. So let's be continue praying for the 15 who are still being held captive. Um, let's be praying for their unconditional release. Let's be praying for Christian Aid Ministries and I think that it's a good opportunity for us to ask questions like, what's a life worth? I mean, these kidnappers are willing to sell these people back at a million dollars a head. What's a life worth? Um, and, and maybe this, what would you do? What would you do if you were imprisoned as a Christian, in no small part for being Christian? How would you make use of that time in prison? Paul made good use of his time in prison. I guess my hope is uh, that these Christians imprisoned in Haiti are making uh, good use of their time as well. I'm praying for them to be healthy and encouraged. Uh, certainly, we will not um, forget them nor their plight. All right, uh, we have got Linda Mental waiting in the wings. She and I are going to talk about um, all kinds of things leading into this Thanksgiving. Gratitude among them. Keep those texts coming about stuffing or dressing. That is the debate of the day. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. All right, joining us now, Linda Mental, and she is uh, she's now in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Linda, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, it's great to be here, and I'm ready for my weigh-in. You are? Um, yes. All right, so, okay, so no is it here. no debate? Is it, is it dressing or is it stuffing? No, when you grow up in the Midwest like I did, um, it's definitely stuffing. Goes in the turkey. <laughs> that is, there's no debate on this because we, at least in Michigan, that's the way we do it. <laughs> So what if you don't have a, like, what if you're not making a whole bird? What if you're just making a turkey breast? Like, what, how does this, how does this work? When it's just stuffing. Are... You're just making stuffing mm. and you're putting it in a pan. It just is stuffing. Now, we use the mm. term dressing. You know, you can dress the turkey. That's sort of like a verb. You're dressing it. But um, it's definitely stuffing in the Midwest. So we have one person weighing in. I don't think they've ever texted in before because the text line doesn't recognize them. And they texted in from the 612 area code with one word. And their one word is dressing. And so here's the thing. Just let me let you know. If you're if this is the first time you've ever participated on the text line, other people are writing paragraphs of testimony <laughs> for why their their answer is correct. So I appreciate the economy of words friend in the 612 area code who just said on my side of the debate, Dressing. Dressing. There you go. Okay. All right. This um, is a little like Thanksgiving. You know, this is going to be a little bit like what's going to happen in families. It <laughs> is. It is. So what happens, Linda, if I show up to Thanksgiving with a person I love, but a person that others around the table don't love? I am reading this on your blog at drlindamental.com. I love him, but my family does not. Yes. And that is... Um, 
going to be attention that's going to be there for the entire meal and the entire visit, right? We, we all want our families to validate us. We all want our families to accept the people that we accept. But it gets a little dicey during this time of the year when you bring in people and everybody's not sure or they may have different feelings about that person. Now, I think there's two issues here that you have to think about. You have to think first, is my family fairly healthy? If your family is fairly healthy, then their opinions should matter a bit because they know you very well. They know the type of person that might work well with you. Sometimes they have a little bit more objectivity. Uh, you might be very interested in someone. And, you know, at the beginning stages of falling in love, your brain doesn't work real well. You're just really overwhelmed with the emotion. Uh, hormones are pumping. And sometimes you don't see things really clear. So I think one of the issues is what are they saying? Is there any merit to what they're saying if they're healthy? But then if you have someone who's not so healthy, if you have an unhealthy family and there's a lot of dysfunction, a lot, a lot of dysfunction, and you really can't trust the opinions of what people say, that could be a whole different ballgame in terms of what you have to do in order to maybe get through the holiday. All right. So we show up to um, a holiday meal with a person who we know everybody does not love. Are there, I mean, are there some like strategies to this? I mean, do you plan conversation starters in advance? Do you put anything on the, like on the table? I, I'm just, I'm looking for some practical help. Yeah. So you don't get into big issues. So this would not be the time to say, okay, we're here. You know, what is it with you people? <laughs> and my, <sighs> and my, my person I'm bringing, you know, you don't want to do that. You don't want to bring up anything that's going to be really charged and really big. If there is that tension, then the best thing to do is just to have, you know, nice conversation, things that are not hot topics. I mean, don't start in politics, don't start in religion, all the things that we know are going to, or today with vaccines and mask wearing and all the things that are very conflict driven in families. If you just want to get through the day with that tension and you want to have somewhat of a nice time and you want to build some positive memory, if you really are convinced this is someone that you want to be with, then do something, do an activity, plan something that you know your family will like, that they could participate in, and have some type of fun thing that you could do to build a positive memory. And then keep the conversation very light, steer away from it if it goes into those negative directions, and just go, you know what, it's a holiday, we just want to enjoy each other, and maybe we can have those conversations later. And then I would, after the holiday, I would process with the family members who are concerned about you. I would sit down with them by myself, sit down with them afterwards and say, okay, tell me what your concerns are. Now, we spent a holiday together. You saw this person. What is it that you're concerned about? What is it that you see that maybe I don't see? And then you can consider what they're saying. It doesn't mean they're going to direct your decision, but at least be open-minded about what the family has to say. Oh, I think that's so good. I think that really, that places a value on, you know, the people who know us best and, and love us most. Um, but it, it also removes the, um, it removes it from the day. Um, and yeah. it doesn't become, it doesn't become the centerpiece of, of the family gathering. All right. Dr. Linda Mental and I are going to take a very brief break. We're going to talk about the uh, actual like effects of gratitude on us. What does gratitude do for us? But in the meantime, yes, I am paying attention. Marty, I see your vote for stuffing. Carol, I hear you. You say that stuffing is a noun, not an adjective. And if I would begin to understand that, that um, I would come 
to the stuffing side of the dressing versus stuffing conversation. Um, stuffing from Randy and Jeannie, uh, who say it doesn't really matter if you're only having a turkey breast or a whole turkey, it's still stuffing um, if you're in the Midwest. Oh, well, this brings the geography conversation. Uh, those of you who say in Minnesota it's dressing, others of you in Minnesota are saying it's stuffing. So I don't know. There might be an interstate issue here. I could start the debate about whether it's cornbread stuffing or whether or not it's bread bread stuffing as well. You know, yeah, I might be here to agitate today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Hear about Santa Claus coming. No silver bells or a dozen drummers drumming. I don't want to see an inflatable nothing to the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> Dr. Linda Mental and I are talking across a range of concerns, but apparently chief among those is, is it dressing or is it stuffing and what of what is it made? We now have Rita saying stuffing and not with cornbread. You stuff it on the inside, says Stephen. Why are we even having this conversation? Dress the turkey with stuffing. All right, on and on and on. So Dr. Linda Mental, um... What it, what do you do at your house? What are the basics of the dressing or stuffing recipe? Yeah, so as a Midwesterner, and a, and mm-hmm. your geography uh, notation was uh, was duly noted by me because Minnesota would be considered the north from where mm-hmm. I was in Michigan mm-hmm. and in Chicago. So in the in the Midwest, um, no one would have a cornbread stuffing. I mean, I can't even think of anybody I know who would do that. That's a southern. No, because thing. we wouldn't have leftover cornbread. Like they wouldn't. No, right. We, Right. Yeah. And cornbread goes with chili, and that would be the day after Thanksgiving. We wouldn't have thought about cornbread yet. That's right. And when you're in the north, you don't even know what cornbread is. When I moved to Virginia, <laughs> I figured out what cornbread and grits and all those things I'd never heard of. So definitely you have to use the, the I won't say the brand, but there's a certain brand of, of breadcrumbs that we always buy. And then it's very basic. It's just the basic. Okay, are they Petridge Farm? Because those are the ones I'm yeah. using. Herb, yes, herb yes. season Petridge yes. Farm. That's what yes. I'm using. Okay. Yes, I, I, I feel. Okay. I, I feel exonerated. Yeah, I didn't know if we could say brand names, but yes, that's. The I don't. One. I don't know. Yeah, don't know. And it's non-commercial radio, different. but if it's what we're using at home, then it's not really a commercial. There you go. There you go. Yeah. And so it's it's really just real basic. It's the celery, onion, seasoning. I throw garlic into everything I ever cook, so it's got some garlic in it, and then you know the seasonings that you can add to them as well. But then the big thing is the you know the. Um, Oh, what's the stuff you put in it that makes it, oh my gosh, I'm blinking, it's too early in the morning, chicken broth, chicken broth to to get it going. And it's real basic, and then you stuff it in there, but you have to be really careful with the stuffing that you cook it for enough time. So that's the That's exactly right. Yeah, no, that is the issue of stuffing the bird. Yes, Um, no sickness. We don't want people getting sick from things not being cooked well inside, so you have to be really careful. Oh my goodness, now now we have people weighing in saying, why are you people putting uh, bread in your in your dressing at all? We use oh, wild rice. I don't even oh, know who that, you are. Who are you? What? Yeah, I don't know no. that one at all either. I don't, where do no, they live? I, I where do you live? <laughs> who are you and where do you live? And can we come have some? Because that would be my other conversation. Okay. Good. So, it sounds good. <clears throat> right, this sounds delicious. I know. It's a okay. I don't know. Um, I will be posting my... Uh, mom's dressing recipe somewhere in the next day because it's so good and everyone should know how to make it. Everyone should be eating what we're eating because it's so good. It's the only way. So what do you do? Do you have any leftovers? Do you have any leftover dressing or stuffing? And what do you do with it? 
Oh, yeah. So my daughter uh, is a producer on a national television show, and they had a cook on the other day. And the mm -hmm. whole segment was, what do you do with leftover turkey? Mm -hmm. So this, these are good suggestions. You can just Google this. And you can find all kinds of things. But by the fourth day or the third day, we're all sick of it. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of it. So, so, so I, I will tell you what we – one of the things that we do is we, we usually like on the Saturday, because by then we really want to get everything used up. Yes. We um, get the waffle iron out. You take a scoop of your leftover dressing or stuffing. I don't really matter what you call it at this point. You put it in the waffle iron and you press it down. And so you make a stuffing waffle. And on top of that, you put some mashed potatoes and some turkey and some gravy, some cranberry sauce if you still got it. And you have it as a brunch item. So there you go. Oh, I know. Okay. A little bit like I, chicken and waffles, I guess. It's a right? take on a little, yeah. a little bit. All right. Um, so before we completely run out of time, what does gratitude do for us? Oh, my goodness. It's body, mind, and spirit. So it is so important not just to do it Thanksgiving, but to always do it, I mean, every day of the year. So so physically, I don't know if we always think about the physical benefits of gratitude, but it really does make a difference. When your focused brain is on something positive, it distracts the brain away from pain and aches, and then it lowers your blood pressure as well. Um, it really does help your immune system. And we're all trying to keep our immune system up during this pandemic time. So if you do gratitude exercises every day, whether those are verbal or whether those are writing, it's going to focus your brain in a way that's going to take away some of that pain and boost a lot of physiological processes. And it will help stress. And we all need some stress help during this time as well. So it really does make a physiological difference. And then psychologically, when we do this, of course, it's going to make us feel better. It's going to help our mood. It's going to make us feel more alert because it actually does release the dopamine in the brain. And that's that, that um, neurotransmitter that is responsible for reward and making us feel good. And that's the one that people want to activate in a healthy way. And gratitude is one of those. And then socially, it's interesting. There's a lot of research, Carmen, around if you're someone who speaks gratitude a lot, people want to be with you. And that just makes sense. People want to be around you. They're like, wow, I just have a good feeling when I'm with that person. And that's because that person is staying on the positive and they're saying um, positive things. So people who express gratitude are usually more outgoing. They're more compassionate. They're more helpful to other people. And they are people that you just feel like have this generous spirit about them. And of course we know spiritually and this is the big one because it's all over. There's so many scriptures in the Bible to give thanks and to give thanks with a grateful heart that when we speak those things, our spirit also soars. And again, it focuses on the goodness of God, which is always a positive in our spiritual life. Linda, this will not surprise you, but the debate rages on the text line. Um, there has been a lot of input during this segment uh, on the debate between stuffing and dressing. Um, I like the person who texted in, why in the world would we eat anything that we had put in a dead bird car carcass? <laughs> <laughs> right. well, I, got, I, got Lois, I got Lois weighing in saying, I think a lot of this depends on the generation. So she wants to make uh -huh. this a debate among generations. We got people who want to make it a debate about geography, generation, um, all. Okay. And then I definitely have people. Yeah. Uh, what are we eating? If, if Chad, if we're not eating turkey, what are we eating? Like, I need to know. I need to hear from you. And then Jacqueline would like to have us have another debate. Jacqueline, this is going to have to wait for till tomorrow, I think. 
Let's find out. Do people call them sweet potatoes or yams? Oh, now there is a difference. I just read that. <laughs> I was so confused about that. I'm like, why do we keep saying and, and confusing those? But a yam and a sweet potato are two different entities. So you have to look that up and figure that so, out. Because one is so the maybe, most hated food. One is the most hated food of Thanksgiving. I won't tell you oh, which one. Oh, well, yams <laughs> are probably the most hated. Sweet potatoes are the most loved. I mean, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We're going to have to find out. There's so much research to do and so little time to do it. Dr. Linda Mental, thank you as always so much for delighting our hearts today. You guys need to uh, need to visit with Linda online, drlindamental.com. Grab the piece. What does gratitude do for you? Um, part of it is giggles and joy. So there you go. We have had some of that this morning. We'll be right back. All right, the plot thickens. We have, uh, all right, I gotta, I gotta see who this is from. We gotta have Gerald. We have Gerald who has texted in, weighing in on the dressing versus stuffing debate that we are having. We are now also apparently having a sweet potatoes versus yams debate, but that one might have to wait till tomorrow. Um, and then we'll have the pie debate. <clears throat> Which Thanksgiving pies are you making? Which ones are your favorites? Gerald says, uh, my mother was from Canada. She called it dressing. My father was from the Midwest. His family called it stuffing because they stuffed the bird with it. And so in my family, the plot thickens. Yes, indeed. All right. And for those of you looking for uh, tricks related to how we turn our leftover dressing into waffles, okay, the moisture content's actually kind of important. So the night before you're going to make your dressing waffles, um, you might want to put a little more chicken broth in your leftover dressing so that it can be moist enough that when you put it in the waffle iron, you can easily press it out and crisp it up. I know, I know. Mouths are watering across America right now. Um, we would like to invite you to read the Gospel of Luke with us during the month of December. So we're going to start our Luke reading on December the 1st. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com. And let's say this, um, what, what are you freaking out about these days? I mean, everybody's freaking out, right? Freaking out about something. You're worried, you're anxious. We're going to talk with David Martin about the fact that we're all freaking out. And he's going to tell us, you know what? We don't need to. There's a way beyond what's freaking us out today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Licato. Justice happens to the degree that we align ourselves with God's hand of fairness. When you teach a disabled child to walk or read, when you care for the elderly, when you rally to support the oppressed, you accomplish something that will continue into the world to come. It's a wonderful thing to restore art or dilapidated houses, but it is a holy thing to restore human dignity. When we join hands with God's, justice finds oxygen and oppression hides in the corner to be clear the day is coming when god will forever balance the scales of justice the glory of the new kingdom will be hallmarked by prosperity and justice until then let's partner with him in the pursuit of what is right when you stand up for the downtrodden justice has a chance and satan has a fit All right, joining us now is David Marvin. 
So he is a pastor of young adults at the Watermark Community Church in Dallas. He's the leader of something called The Porch, which we are going to investigate with him. Apparently, thousands of young adults are getting together. It's kind of like church, but not the way maybe you know of it. He is also coming today as the author of We're All Freaking Out and Why We Don't Need To. David, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so pumped to be here. That is right. uh, everything that you just said. I have tons of questions for you today, but leading the list of our questions here, because we've been deba- debating it um, among listeners this morning, um, is it called dressing or is it called stuffing? I would say it's called stuffing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm, da- I'm from okay. the South, and I'm from Houston, okay. so... It- is it made with cornbread where you live, or is it made with bread bread? Um, it's made with, with uh, I think it's made with bread bread. Mm-hmm. Like just you would bread. know you would know if it was made with cornbread because that your family would, would have a particular pride related to that. So we also have people weighing in this morning saying that their dressing is made with wild rice. So anyway, there's all kinds of things going on out there. Oh, um, all right. I know. I know. David, we could just have a buffet of all kinds of... <laughs> dressing slash stuffing items. Um, okay, so tell us about the porch, first of all. Define a young adult. What are they, why are they coming? What are they coming for? What's happening at the porch? Yep. So the porch is a young adult ministry in Dallas, Texas, at Watermark Church, which you said. It is a gathering of about 3,000 in Dallas. We have 15 satellite locations everywhere from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, to um, Des Moines, Boise, Idaho, and um, Cincinnati, Ohio. So you can find all the locations that we have that are satellite locations around the country at theporch.live, which is our website. And it's a gathering on Tuesday nights of young adults that come together to um, worship Jesus, be equipped and understand his word, and more deeply connect with other young adults with a similar worldview. And so Young and old is, we would define as anybody, you know, 18 to 35, but we're not, you know, taking a card at the door. And, um, yeah, it started about 13 years ago. I've been working with the porch for 10 years, and it has been amazing to see God just work in our midst. And young adults are starved. They say this generation is, um, you know, opposed to God, anti-religion. And I'm sure there's truth in that, but it's definitely not what we're experiencing in Dallas, and I would say in the 15 other locations that are all over the country in nine states. All right. One of the things that uh, David and his friends talk about and talk amongst themselves about is the stuff that's freaking us all out, anxiety, fear, depression, all kinds of things. So the book is We're All Freaking Out and Why We Don't Need to, Finding Freedom from Your Anxious Thoughts and Feelings. Um, David, why this book? Why now? What are the issues that you're addressing? Um, and maybe what's the takeaway? Yeah, so this is a book on anxiety. It's not a last line of defense. In other words, for Christians, we're commanded to have God's Word, the Bible, as our first line of defense on facing or combating really anything, and in particular on anxiety. And so this is meant to be a first line of defense on what it looks like to understand what God actually teaches about anxiety and how to combat it. In other words, by first line of defense, my wife is a counselor. Um, I think the counseling field is incredible, and psychology and medication and all that stuff are gifts God has given us. But those are to be supplements to our battle against anxiety, not replacements for God's Word 
in our battle against anxiety. So this book is all about how, and really particular, what God says about anxiety and how to combat it and um, providing a first line of defense. Anxiety rates are exploding, especially among young people in the pandemic did not make things better. It only, you know, made them exponentially worse. And so this is an attempt to help people really know what God teaches about anxiety, which in my opinion is often really, really misunderstood. Okay, so let's dig into that a little bit, because obviously you're addressing strategies that have um, worked in your own life, but you're really doing this by offering up biblical strategies for you know, getting on the other side of anxiety, worry, and fear. Let's um, let's tee up one of those. So what would be a biblical strategy to get us to the other side? Well, I'll give one that is often misunderstood. So when Paul says, and I think it leads, it answers the question you're saying, and so it provides both. When Paul in Philippians chapter 4 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication— uh, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will go to your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Most people read that verse, and they assume Paul is saying, don't be anxious, just pray, which is, you know, not bad, but it's a really oversimplification of what the Bible actually teaches. In other words, the Greek word that Paul uses for not be anxious is the Greek word merim now. The Greek word now, because the Bible is written, or New Testament is written in Greek, it's a word synonymous with meditation on anxious and fearful thoughts. So Paul is saying, do not meditate and dwell on anxious and fearful thoughts. The idea that Paul's saying, hey, never be anxious, just pray, that's, that's not true, and it's not possible. That, you know, the idea that you'll never have an anxious thought is just impossible. You're going to have those, I'm going to have those. What is possible is what Paul is saying, which is, when those thoughts come, choose not to dwell or meditate and focus and fixate on those, which is possible. And I've never heard anybody in life, you know, just and I'm sure you haven't, in 15 years of working in ministry, say that they would disagree with Paul and say that, you know, what changed their life for the better was every day waking up and dwelling and meditating on fearful and anxious thoughts. That really helped them. No, nobody <laughs> would say that. And so that's one example of Paul saying, hey, don't dwell and fix and meditate on those things when those fearful, anxious thoughts come. Rather, bring those to God in prayer, and then where he goes next in verse 8, whatever is true, noble, lovely, worthy of praise, meditate or think on these things. And so now, when you begin to understand, that, that's one example of the many teachings the Bible has on anxiety. But that's just one that's often misunderstood is, don't worry, just pray. And that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, don't meditate on those fearful, anxious thoughts. Bring those to God and then meditate on these things, what's true, lovely, noble, and worthy of praise. If you are looking for um, help like that, uh, David Marvin offers a number of biblical strategies that are intensely practical for getting to the other side of anxiety, worry, and fear. And we are giving copies away today of We're All Freaking Out. So you can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing. David Marvin and I will be right back. Don't freak out if I'm not okay. Don't freak out if I tell you things. Don't freak out if I leave you. All right, we are continuing our conversation with David Marvin. You can follow him on Instagram, Twitter, 
He's in all the places. Um, I like his Instagram follow. I li- also like the Instagram follow for The Porch. That is the organization w- with whom he serves, and you can um, you can find them um, on all the social medias as well. Um, we're talking about David's book, among other things. We're talking about his new book. We're all freaking out and why we don't need to. And, yes, we're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing. Um, David, let me just to go ahead and acknowledge, so sometimes we feel guilty or people try to make us feel guilty for not freaking out when other people around us are freaking out. Like, you know, somebody's all freaked out about pick your topic, global warming. That's a good one. Um, and then they make me feel guilty that I'm not all freaking out about that. So can you yeah. help me? <laughs> well, that would be a problem of, of really um, somebody projecting. You know, I think if they're not a believer and you're marked by peace that comes from walking with Jesus, then they should be confused. They should be. The world is, you know, Psalm 2 talks about, you know, raging in, in vain. And so I think if you're not a Christian, they should be confused and perplexed by that. It's funny, though, you mentioned guilt and the relationship it has with anxiety. I think there's often among the church a guilt that is associated with people who have anxiety, and they feel like I can't say that I'm anxious among other believers because, you know, they'll tell me to just have more faith, or if I really had enough faith, then I would not be as anxious. Mm. And it's made the topic of mental health and anxiety, I think, a little taboo among Christians in particular, where they don't feel like they can open up and say, or if they do open up and struggle with their anxiety, open up about their struggle, they're often pushed outside of the church or pushed to get help from a counselor or a psychologist, which are great fields. Like I said, I'm married to a counselor, not opposed to that field at all. But somebody being pushed there immediately rather than to other believers or rather than to God's word, I think is a mistake because God has so much helpful things to say about it. And then on that guilt part, I just think it's crazy that we feel like we can't open up and be honest about the fact that we're anxious because that won't allow us to not be anxious or to move in the direction of having a life that's marked by peace rather than anxiety. Because in order to get to where you want to go, you have to be willing to say, this is where I am right now. And um, and so I, in my experience, often it's mental health that has a guilt association with it. But really, it's kind of amongst Christians. People feel like, I, I shouldn't have this, and I feel bad that I have this. And I can't talk about the fact that I battle with depression, mental health, anxiety. I love that. I um, I have a couple of verses that I sort of internally and then sometimes externally. Uh, internally, I turn to them. Sometimes I externally share them. One would be First um, Peter 5, 7, just acknowledging that Peter was anxious. Like, right, there's the only reason that Peter would say to us, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, is if Peter understood that we get anxious. And, you know, and I feel like, you know, Peter... Um, you know, when he tried to walk on the water and then he saw all the waves and he starts <clears throat> to sink and drown and cries out to Jesus. I imagine he felt a little fear and worry and anxiety in that moment, at least. I mean, there's there are definitely examples of the people walking with Jesus who are with him and yet their hearts are troubled and they are afraid. Otherwise, Jesus yeah. wouldn't have said to them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, um, and I don't give as the world gives. Let, you know, not your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid, right? So, I mean, Jesus wouldn't have addressed it with his own disciples if it wasn't real. 
Yes, you're so spot on. Yes, yeah, and in Mark chapter 4, he is in the middle of the boat. Everyone knows that it's famous. He's sleeping on a cushion. His disciples wake up, or they go, and they're in a storm on a boat in the middle of the water, and Jesus is asleep. And they're terrified, and they go and wake Jesus up, and they say, God, basically, Lord, are you not going to save us? You're not going to help us? We're going to perish is the word that they use, or we're going to die. And Jesus wakes up, and he says, be still. He just yells at the wind and the water and the word used afterwards is it's basically like the water became glass. It goes from huge waves to it's like they're on top of glass. And he asks a funny question. He says, why are you afraid? <laughs> and on the surface, you would go, what do you mean? This is like being in a plane and the plane is going down and, you know, you're, there's tons of turbulence and you're terrified. And somebody would walk up to you and go, why are you afraid? And you're like, what do you mean? Why am I afraid? The plane is, we're literally plummeting right now. And that's what was happening. And so for Jesus to ask that question, it's a really funny question because you go, of course, you know why we're afraid. We're afraid we're going to die, the wind and the waves around us. And the reason I think it's a profound question is he's exposing to themselves, oh, you think that you have control over your life. That's why Mm -hmm. you're afraid. You think that really, as long as things are going well, like you're in control and you can. You are in the driver's seat in terms of when you're going to die and when, how long you're going to live, and all of that, or whatever is in front of you today. And when you stop and think about it, that's why he's asking that question. He would have known that, of course, it's not just the winds and the waves. It's that you think you're in control, Peter, or John, or Andrew. And he's pointing out to these men who, like us, didn't have perfect or picture-perfect lives that weren't marked with anxiety and mental health and problems. There were men that had anxious feelings and thoughts and anxiety. That's so good. Um, I think the fear of death, the fear of what's beyond death, um, the the fact that we really do not get that beyond this, if we're believers, we get to spend all eternity in the fullness of the presence of the living God. And that that is so far beyond anything we could even imagine as the best and greatest, magnificent, good, awesome reality. Like we're so captivated by this world. And we're so, when we imagine that we imagine even as believers that somehow yep. this life is all there is. And so we desperately cling to it. I suspect that's also part of what was going on with Jesus. Like, yes. why are you afraid? Because, you know, after this, when this momentary life comes to an end, you could get to be with the Father forever. And he's like, let me tell you, that is better than this. Yes, it's so good. No, I think you're spot on. That perspective, it really does. I mean, there's going to come a day where we look back. I'm sure you're right, Carmen. For, you know, a million years from now, uh, Lord willing, Jesus has already come back and we're all in heaven. And you look back, and we're going to go, oh, man, we were so worried about so many things that were so temporary and fleeting mm-hmm. and silly. Just like when we look at our kids, or, our, you know, if somebody looks at their children, I look at my kids, and the things that they worry or panic about or freak out about, or even children in high school, and just all the things that in these different seasons of life were such a huge deal. And then you look back, and you're like, oh, man, that really wasn't that big of a deal at all. Uh, my guess is you're so right. For all of eternity, we'll probably look back. And it's not that things aren't real and hard and that people mm-hmm. are walking through it, but, but we'll probably look back with a 
much bigger and greater perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so, too. All right. I um, I look forward to opportunities to continue the conversation with you. I, I already like you a lot. <laughs> I like you, too. You but... <laughs> All right, that's David Marvin. You ought to be following him, like not in a lurky, strange way, but in a really positive way. Um, Among other things, he is the author of We're All Freaking Out. He heads up uh, a ministry called The Porch. He is uh, on the staff at the Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. He's not hard to find. David Marvin, what a delight. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Carmen. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your people. Yes, to you too. So fun to be on here. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, you can uh, text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies we have of We're All Freaking Out and Why We Don't Need To that we're giving away today. Um, and yes, for those of you who continue to text in about the debate about dressing or stuffing and what's in it, I concur that sage-flavored sausage is an essential component part of your dressing or your stuffing, whichever one you're making. Thank you for those of you who have supplied me with some recipes for making dressing or stuffing with um, wild rice. Those all sound yummy. Uh, keep, keep, them, keep them coming. Keep them coming. I can pay attention to the text line all day long if you, uh, you want to engage there. So, um, all right, we are t- almost totally out of time. Uh, Paul also wants me to start the debate about whether or not it's too early to start listening to Christmas music. <clears throat> so hey, I vote I, for don't, Friday. Don't bring me into that. this. Now. Don't do I I vote for Friday on that. Friday for Christmas music. Let me get through Thanksgiving. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.